that top down shit. Cruising on the motherfucking highway doing your goddamn thing. Ain't worried about a motherfucking soul. Just do you, baby. Retro player, player, and 64. Cruising USA Exotica, I need some bows. Hit the floors, cause I need that flower in this hoe. Nintendo Power with the power, you gon' run the show. Flow heavy on beats like a tampon. Shorty wasn't sucking dick while your man gone. Hit it once, now your ex wanna stand off. Getting buck, hit the chug, Norris, now you're dead wrong. Retro player, player, and 64. You ain't cuffing, get these hundreds, I'm a teller hoe. It was on. Welcome everybody to Jeff versus the world. This is episode number 12. And this is a special episode because I think I have three of my favorite podcasters on and I'm going to let them introduce themselves and let them tell you what it is they do. And then I'll let you know what we're going to do tonight. So Cam, you can start. Yeah, my name is uh, Cameron Hawkins. I am the host of the South Congress podcast covering the goings on in pop culture every week. Um, I also host The Goose Down, which is a weekly podcast reviewing every single edition of R.L. Stein's classic Goosebumps series. Uh, this week we actually covered Night of the Living Dummies, so we're getting to the good stuff. Uh, I co-host the Pro Wrestling Torch East Coast cast with uh, Travis Bryant and Rich Fan, and I'm a regular contributor to Pro Wrestling Torch, both in audio form, written form, and social media form. Rich? Okay, so I'm Rich Fan. Uh, I am the host of the PW Torch Live, I'm sorry, Daily Cast Show, The Deep Dive with Rich Fan where I spend an hour every week talking about any random subject in wrestling I want and usually bring a guest or two along. And uh, in addition to that, as Cam mentioned, I am also a co-host on the PW Torch East Coast cast, uh, VIP edition, sometimes also on the free verse when I have some time. Uh, and uh, I contribute to the Torch mostly audibly. And now with the media scrums and all that fun stuff, I'm the Ace Cub reporter and uh Usually on Twitter, I'm talking about a lot of stuff angrily. And Deepom. Hey, uh, I'm not a contributor to some large multinational website. I'm sorry. I'm just a small indie podcaster who's an editor at NTR Network, and you find us at the NTR Network on Twitter. I host a lot of shows over there, including the UD Pod, which is the Unanimous Decision Podcast. It's our sports show. Also host our Super Tuesday podcast, where we uh, talk about nerd television programming, and we have our mailbag every month to talk about your favorite topics. We also host the Character Corner. We've got two new editions coming out this uh, month uh, because apparently we don't like having free time. If you go premium at NTR Network, you can find me behind the paywall talking about a lot more things. Most recently, I did our... Uh, <laughs> We did a review that wasn't a review. I haven't seen the movie in question, but we talked about it anyway. And uh, we're also going to be recording our Young Justice Season 3 Part 1 episode this Sunday, or this Tuesday. Let's be behind the paywall before the week is over. All right. So tonight, what we're going to do, we are going to talk about X-Men Dark Phoenix. Now, three out of the four of us have seen the movie. And since you didn't see the movie, Deepalm, just tell the people why you haven't seen the movie and why you may not see it or you don't even care about the movie. Or just tell them why you haven't seen the movie. 
may not. That's 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 very gracious to the film, <laughs> and I, that's gracious to the movie. Um, I will never be seeing this movie. I, uh, for those of you who are unindoctrinated, I am a deep cut X Men fan from a long time ago. Uh, our most recent character corner is actually exploring the, this saga, the first forty-four issues of Chris Claremont's X Men run. Uh, he ran on the book for over eleven years, but his first story was. The Phoenix Saga. It's a 44 issues to tell, which is about four years in 1970s comics time. And the fact that they tried to do it in 114 minutes should tell you why I didn't see the movie. Um, I just don't like being insulted. And I'm an excellent fan. Like I said, this stuff is it's deeper than rap to me. And after, I believe, Days of Future Past, where they put an entire movie out where there was no bad guy. Um, yeah, I, I walked away, and I've never been happier to not be absorbing X Men. But I'm very excited for the ten billion dollars Marvel's X Men will make in about seven years. Okay, so I'll start. My problem with Dark Phoenix, and my main problem is, I have no connection with the characters at all, and I think the movie was basically saying you know you should know you know i should know that well gene and cyclops has this relationship because you should have seen the last movies or you should have seen the cartoons or you should know they have a deep relationship and i think cam you have tweeted about it that you know the x-men is about family but there was really no real tight you know really family situation going on there it was just everybody on there just thrown on the screen to say hey let's get this out the way let's get this movie done and let's get it over with and you can even tell like i told rich the reshoots you can see what they did reshoots and it's like in one scene one person is there and then that person is gone when they cut back on screen to the you know that person is that they're not there i'm like okay that was a reshoot uh, it it was just a bad movie, like I said, and I just think a lot of the actors phoned it in, and um, I don't know. I'm gonna let you let y'all take it away, and you, you know, you talk about what your issues with the movies. Cam, Rich, we're all trying to be polite because <laughs> there's so much negative energy toward this movie. We don't want to turn it toward each other, but I, I'll say the easiest thing is you never want to return to a bad relationship with the person that you're in that bad relationship with. And that's what they did. You, you made X three and it was universally paying. And the lesson they learned from it was let the dude who wrote it direct it. And some of the beats, which Palm has mentioned, Cam mentioned on Twitter, uh, you know, going back to the same economically anxious town that they did in X3, uh, the fact that Evan Peters and J-Law are the secure the bag all-stars with a smooth combined, I think, 38 minutes in the movie between two people who were supposed to be the A-listers in it. And the eternal struggle to find a way to make Cyclops less of the dude he is in the comics and more of this angsty. Now I'll agree with Cam. He was a guy who you could tell he was fallen for and completely sprung by Gene, but his I'll effing kill you at the end of the movie screaming at Magneto was not something I saw coming. That was like the high school kid who's trying to step up to their dad and the voice cracks like halfway through. And so there were so many things 
not not least of which being last night's revelation that why did the Phoenix saga occur 10 years earlier if Days of Future Past undid everything that led to the Sentinels, which my nose is bleeding, so I'm going to tag out. Yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll jump in there and kind of echo you know what you said at the beginning, Jeff. My biggest issue was like there was no attention paid to the actual relationships. Like I already wasn't going to like the movie, um, and I blame Dee Palm and Chris for being so thorough with their explanation on their character corner of what the X Men are for me liking the movie less because I think when I sat back and looked at it, I counted maybe. 11 conversations in an hour and you know 14 minute movie that and i think i think it actually ran was it an hour 44 whatever in less in a less than it's 114 minutes okay yeah in in a in a less than two hour movie i counted 11 one-on-one conversations and like that should not exist in this space like one of the driving arcs in the movie, and we'll get into stupid motivations, but there's how Cyclops deals with Gene becoming the Dark Phoenix and how Hank deals with losing Mystique. There's no reason that conversation shouldn't have been between the two of them and Professor Xavier. But no, it happens between Cyclops and Professor Xavier. And then it happens between Hank and Professor Xavier. And to a lesser extent, it happens between Hank and Magneto. And earlier on, it happens between Professor Xavier and Mystique. Like, like there's no team. Nightcrawler has no input on anything that happens. Cyclops controls nothing. Mystique is established as a team leader and then decides to have a conversation about how the women are always saving everybody when in literally the last scene, we saw her directing traffic, but everybody else doing all of the action, save for the time where Gene has to save the one person that's left over. Like, they all, they, they do everything they can to fight the idea of this being a team. And they do more to fight the idea of it being a family because families converse as families. They sit down at the table and they all talk, whether they have differing ideas or not. That does not happen in this movie. The only time you see them as a team is at a bonfire and when they're in jail and when they're in a space shuttle and when they're on one mission. That's it. Everything else is done either in pairs or as individuals. Like it, it, so, There was no synergy at all. As someone who didn't see the movie but has had the movie explained to him, I want to say there's one real big positive that came out of this movie. It reinforced who in my circle has no sense. And, <laughs> um, I'm just saying, you all knew better. If anything, you've watched me be very loud about this movie. Because during the course of the release of this movie, and if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you're at least tangentially aware of the troubled production. Jeff touched on it in the intro with the reshoots. This movie is a movie that they took the X-Men name off of. Nixon's not on the movie. That's a pretty damning thing to happen. And it happened before the second time they moved the date. So part of me blames all of you for all of this. Because if we didn't keep going to these movies, they would not keep making them. And now they can't legally keep making well, them. Well, in all honesty, three of us saw the movie, two of us went to the movie. Um, yeah, it, it was I, not a... That doesn't, you, you using underhanded 
light-skinned man who <laughs> does not make it better, my friend. If well, anything, that means you went out of your way to find a way to that, see this it was, movie. There was actual effort put into it. Yeah, um, this sounds like this sounds something like a job. But yeah. I, will, I, I do want to ask this because you mentioned something that I touch on a lot when I talk about the X-Men because, Cam, I think you're right. It's 100% about family. One of my favorite X-Men issues of all time is it's an uncanny issue. You guys, if you guys are 90s acting fans, you might remember it. It's the issue after Onslaught happens. And it's just the X-Men having breakfast. And Joe Mad draws it and it's beautiful, but it's them sitting around and all the all the jokes, it's it's Bobby icing the floor so that Scott gets stuck in the tub. It's Remy, it's it's Gambit saying, Y'all call him Magneto Joseph. I'm gonna call myself James. Remy, nope, I'm James now. It's them just Having like kids at those little conversations, those interactions that show that these people care about each other. And from what I've heard, they somehow made another action movie where no one cares unless it's exceedingly performative. It it was interesting because Cam, you said something that made me think about it. It was almost as if the characters of Beast and Mystique were separated from Cyclops and the others because she was like we're the last of the first class and it was like okay but you're X-Men you should be interacting with but it was like they were distance from the younger supposedly younger you know Cyclops Gene and all them it's like okay but we're older than them so we really don't deal with them but we do when we're on mission it was just weird the weird the weird man but what's interesting is that has place in X-Canon and that's one of the weird things about this fucking movie that I will never see is that I keep hearing bits and pieces of things that are like interesting from X canon. Like when the new class came in, when the um, all new, all different X Men, Giant Size X Men 1975, Dave Cockrum drawing it. When that happens, when Logan and Storm and Piotr and, and Banshee, when they all join the team, the rest of the team pieces. They're like, we don't want these new kids here. Fuck them. The only one who stays is Cyclops because what else is he going to do? He is Scott Summers. Hey, but can we talk about why that doesn't matter, though? No, because no, I'm just saying, because after, no, actually, I'm saying, after they do it in the book, they didn't bring them back as family. That's Claremont's first 44 is bringing the family back together. And while that could have been like a cool thing there, apparently they just do it and don't use it. Well, no, no, no. But what I'm saying is, why that doesn't matter in this movie. Like, oh. that's a throwaway line because that was 10 years ago. Damn, you can't be a throwaway line in a movie where nothing matters. But it was, but, but I'm saying. It's like a nihilism, it's really like a nihilism banquet. Like, it's just like nothing that happened on that screen for 114 minutes matters. And that's what kills me. Because if you're going to use the word Phoenix and you're going to use it associated with these characters, it's got to fucking matter. They had that line in a movie where. If, if they're the original ones, they've been there 20 years, but the other people have been there 10. All that means is you get a bigger glass award at the company picnic. That's all that means. You're both old. Like, okay. And, and Jeff, I, I feel like this is going to turn into a thing where we all just kind of throw things at the wall about what's wrong with this movie. So, so can we just go through for right now – the issues we had with characterization, because I, I think that's going to be the biggest thing, because I'm not even talking about how they're this way in the comics and they're this way in the movies. Throughout four movies, starting with first class, 
I and, and Deep Palm, you've seen the last three, correct? Or at least the last or the two before that? Did you watch Apocalypse? I need I need I need you to listen to me. The last one I watched was first was uh okay. Days of Future Past. I okay. walked out so, yeah. and never looked back. So those two. Okay, so listen. Tell me when in those two movies. Okay. When Hank is so upset or so hurt or so distraught by a villain's action that he recommends their death. Never. Never. I, I don't <laughs> recall a moment where, like, again, he's sitting around the room when Sebastian Shaw gives uh, Darwin, you know, uh, high cholesterol, because what else can kill a black mutant, right? Like, he gives him gout or something <laughs> to where he's out of there, right? And he's he's sad, but nowhere in in these movies in these three films leading up to this or four films leading up to this do you see him start to fall off a ledge or start to lose his cool or any type of change in in his stance about uh you know uh justice versus violence gene kills mystique kind of by mistake and his action like his his reaction is to go to magneto and say kill her what like, it's not like in, in Doctor Strange where Baron Mordo is through the, throughout the movie expressing the problem that he has with everybody having a handle of magic. Like, everybody, there's too many magicians, we gotta get somebody out of here. You see his progression to that in one movie. You don't see Hank McCoy's progression to that in four movies. Well, that was the issue with... <laughs> that was the issue with a pretty much half of the cast half of the characters there was no real progression for anybody except maybe magneto and charles but other than that who else I, and again the, the kid who played cyclops god bless him what they asked him to do he was in there trying he was absolutely trying to convey how upset he was and like rich said the line where he finally says that to magneto like it, it doesn't build up to that he's angsty 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 and then all of a sudden you're a badass out of nowhere like it, it doesn't get to that point but they, they they didn't respect the arc that they themselves had built let alone what's in the comics um and we can i don't know we can do that pretty much for every character but like that's the standout thing to me looking at how somebody who was pretty peaceable all along didn't even go to the brink where he almost did something bad and had to pull back he literally put a hit out on his teammate who did something he didn't like a week earlier well that leads to ask me see because i'm gonna be my x-man knowledge is very not not as good as your good as y'all's. So what I'm going to ask is, from what I saw from the movie, Charles Xavier really was on his P D D stuff, and I, I'm not even joking when I said that because it was like he was almost borderline ob, ob, obnoxious. Like he was like, okay, yeah, I'm here to make the peace, but he was really enjoying the spotlight. More than he should have should have been. I don't know. It just seemed weird. It just seemed like his character was went way left. And I'm not sure if it was ever like that in the comics. From the little I've I've read, I've never seen Charles Xavier act like that. And it was just weird. <laughs> Charles Xavier's garbage. Um, I don't 
I know you're talking about kind of the, the, the appeasement angle. I think you guys take in the movie. And that happens sometimes in the comic, but love to be no mistake. Charles Xavier is trash. Yeah, I think that it's it's interesting that they went with Hank McCoy as the one to really oppose how he felt. And of course that's through extension by mystique. But yeah, it's it's it is that thing, Jeff, where as things progress, um, where we think of Cyclops early on like, as this Boy Scout, it's really the divergence between the two of them that shows you how little you think of Xavier and how much you want to root for a guy like Cyclops. So that's absolutely there. But the, the problem that they did was they create this idea that Xavier's way is the wrong way. And he's he's like he's really dick riding the president. Like there's no way around that. Like he's he's kicking in with everybody. He's showing up at dinners, talking about how glad he is that nobody thinks they're bad guys. But the whole thing is the story ends up with him being right all along by not doing anything different, but by Gene hearing one more part of the same conversation he had with her dad and saying, you know what? He does care about us. Like <clears throat> Rich, please say words, because I'm Okay. Well, I, I look at it this way with Charles. I'm not as far on the end of where you guys are. Where Yes, he is trash in a matter of speaking, but I think a lot of it is. And we, we get this a lot with comic books. Charles Xavier, we forget that this dude had all this money and all this privilege, and he also happened to be a mutant. And so when he did things, he did it from the very white savior complex of, I'll fix this by making you forget. And never thought of the possibility of maybe this isn't the right play. Mm-hmm. And then the arrogance carried through. That's something you earned over the course of 35 years. You can't do that in an hour and 48 minutes. Because you certainly didn't do it in the four previous movies. Like the closest you got to it was the, and I enjoy Hickman using that to signify his relationship with his editor. When uh, Charles and Eric were working on mastering his power and he put the gun to his head. And he kept getting closer and closer with the gun. And that, you know, like at, at some point, a rational human being would say, maybe we should figure something else before we move to guns. But he's just like, no, nah, Eric, you can do this. And when you take it to the X-Men, when you take it to Gene, yeah, it, it was something out of like, I, I thought that would be like a South Park parody of the X-Men when it came to like, you see the same scene over and over and then you obviously see this dude is poor white trash that hates his daughter but you need to finally see at like the one hour 38 minute mark by the way i hate my daughter and then gene's like oh i got it you're you're really my dad i love you and again we've seen marvel do this better i it was funny to me all weekend you know guardians of the galaxy 2 kept playing on tbs and so i'd catch it at different times and i would show it and especially after i saw the x-men movie in the theaters I saw the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and my wife and son were downstairs with me. And I'm like, and it was the scene where, I'm sorry, spoiler alert for those of you who have not seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2, where Ego has finally gone too far. And Star-Lord realizes that Yondu was really his dad the whole time. And that's a relationship you built over two movies. You get this climax. You realize this person had, it in, had a, his good intentions for me all along. He might have been a little gruff. At no point. Do you get to see Charles being manipulative or being the altruistic version of himself? He imagined himself to be when he, whenever he was with Mora or, you know, you know, Lord knows what he was thinking when he was hemmed up with Alondra. But that's a, that would have been a movie if they did. They they wouldn't have done it, though. I mean, I was just happy for him. 
McAvoy to play Patricia for the first half hour of the movie. Because if you look, he's wearing the same sweaters. He's wearing the same sweaters. So you're saying to explain a relationship yeah. that – that and, and Deepalm and Rich, correct me if I'm wrong, but the relationship between Star-Lord and Ego is completely made up for the movies, right? Yep. That's a, that's, yeah. Completely made up for the movies. And then yep. – how familiar are, are, are Yondu and Star-Lord? Do they have a relationship in, in the comics? It's been, been a whole cloth in the movies, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like at some point they may have needed to have Gene and Xavier together. Maybe mm. at some point in like Apocalypse? Like, like really having conversations or really explaining that? Well, like, well remember, Cam, they were together in that one scene before she got the not Phoenix force where he told her to use all of her power in their heads. That was the only time. And see, that's my issue with the movies. It's like these relationships should be more, they should mean more. And we should have seen, uh, you know, we, we should have seen it from the beginning to the middle to the end. And we didn't see that. We saw the beginning and then we saw the end. There's nothing else we saw. So now we're just supposed to know, especially like the relationship with Gene and Xavier and just like Cyclops and Xavier, because that really that's his right hand man on the field. When they go out in the field, that's his man. So they didn't even have that in the movie. It was just like, okay, uh, Hank and Mystique, you're the oldest. Here's what it is. But the movie just seemed off. It just seemed off. It seemed like somebody took some crib notes, looked at them and said, Here's the movie. We're, it doesn't even matter. Because I was wondering why they couldn't at least have the Hellfire Club. Well, never mind. I know now because they already did the Hellfire Club. Never mind. Yeah, well, they knew, they, they knew they'd sell three tickets. And even that, I'm still in shock, honestly, the three of you. Hey, Deepalm, um, do you know... Who there's a scene where after Gene goes rogue, uh, no pun intended, where after Gene goes rogue, that Cyclops is 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 distraught and really feels like you know we can get Gene back, we can get Gene back, we can get Gene back. Do you know who they have come into his room and tell him that sometimes people are just who they are and you have to accept it? Do you know which <laughs> team member they had do that? I do. I do, <laughs> I do know. Um. So that's one of the things, and I know you're saying this to make me mad, and I'm not going to let you do it. What's a little genocide um, between teammates? Well, that's What's a little fratricide? So I'm even, sorry, fratricide. Even, even, even in the movie continuity, that doesn't make any sense. Because None. Storm literally was a horse from Apocalypse in the other movie I didn't watch. The only um, reformed person in that but, building. But, but if, I know why you brought this up. Because <laughs> in the comics, these two women are not just teammates. They're not just friends. They're fucking sisters. And I do feel like they're deciding to do that and then being like, Rock was Claremont to the premiere. I'm like, did he punch you in the face? (laughs) You you literally crippled and castrated emotionally these characters. That's one of the best things about Chris Claremont's run and part two is coming later this month on the character corner feed of the MCR network. But dang dang it up. But the, the idea is that it's a super. It's a it's a soap opera about people interspliced with action, and it's not. You can have issues go by where not not a power is used. These are people, and 
because they work so well together, because the organism of a team allows you to have a strong man in Colossus, who's also got the soul of a painter because the berserker is the little guy from Canada, which allows the, the woman who can control the elements, whose name evokes terror, storm, to be one of those pieces of people on the planet. And because these characters are never given room to develop or grow or breathe in these spaces, you've got things like Aurora Monroe saying, fuck it, let's kill her. Hey, remember that scene in Age of Ultron where the whole team is sitting around and they're having fun playing with the hammer? Remember that? You know the closest thing that you get to that in this movie? Icebox. A bonfire where Dazzler is is literally like a strobe light (laughs) and Cyclops asks Storm to make some ice cubes for their cups. And on top of that, these are the biggest dweebs I've ever met because who doesn't have red Solo cups at a bonfire? Or even Dixie cups. Who has actual glasses outside of a bonfire? I'm just wondering. There, it's a, I assume it's a bonfire on the, the mansion property. Yes. I'm gonna go ahead and re- reiterate the word mansion. Yeah, that's that's Gray Malkin Lane. We got we got we got big bucks. If anything, why didn't someone teleport with Nightcrawler to get some from just to prove they're from the streets? Like go visit the townies, which again is one of my favorite parts of any coming of age oh. X Men story. Oh. They, they literally never interacted with the real world, except uh, one time they got off the plane and there were fans waiting for them and they got arrested for fighting in the street at night when they were going to rescue Gene. There's not a wait, single wait, wait, scene. Wait, 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 wait. So, so wait, there's fans at the airport and they got arrested later that night. Oh my God, the 1970s pressure wrestlers. Yes. There's a kid in, there's a kid in <laughs> blue face. There's an action figure. Like... And they, they, yeah, they, they got arrested. Oh, and then who arrested them? What, who, what team of regular humans who were basically I'm a so SWAT team so beat them in? Guys, tell me in screen time, didn't this SWAT team beat them in about five minutes? Yeah, five. More. That was a smooth like minute and a half. It was just like they were SEAL Team Six on steroids. Okay. I thought it was the guys who got hired by the Essex Corporation and Deadpool. Only somehow twenty years sooner, and they have even more tactical prowess. It, it was a smooth two minutes. Two minutes. Yeah, and, and then as they are looking to fight the bad guys, whose names I'm going to ask you about because I don't think they exist. Um, they were wearing armbands mm-hmm. from the mutant control unit or <laughs> the MCU. Oh my god, they there's I've never seen more self-loathing in a single movie. Oh my god. Well, that was Kenberg's like strike back at the man because you know this this big corporate mouse entity is coming like Galactus to swallow them whole, and this creative fertile ground of twenty years hence is now being put into this automaton where they'll have to have relationships and actually build to something, and then you know maybe actors will be able to represent themselves outside of the avenue, like you know Chris Evans, who you know happy birthday, Chris. Thank you for turning into uh, America's real Captain America. Uh, why do I have to watch an X-Men movie after growing up and loving these characters and coming to know things like my faith and things like that through Kurt or how you can love someone and understand they're broken like Piotr with Ileana? And of course, how can you just not love Logan like Paul mentioned? But then how do you have a campus of X-Men where you only have 25 to 38 year olds and 10 year olds. Which one of the 
the kids who were just, uh, you know, students, which one of them showed a single one of their powers? Uh, the fake shadow cat at the very end. When Evan, oh. when uh, when Quicksilver, I was like, oh, so she is there. Awesome. Or is this just another random girl that can run through walls? Hey, remember when uh, Jean took out the whole team and killed Mystique? Remember how Nightcrawler went crazy and tried to find a way to stop her, even though he didn't know what to do? No. Nope. Remember how that random cop got killed by that random alien, and then he went crazy at the end of the movie and used his powers for a stranger? Oh, well, that was the cop that said he was disappointed in him and his son believed in him. So that was the emotional straw that broke his uh, poor camel's back. Oh, so uh, Nightcrawler's ego got the best of him because that happens. Yes. He was upset. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, he gave three Hail Marys and a Dr. Pepper and he was fine. God. What? <laughs> they hate us, man. They really, really hate us. It's like We didn't even do nothing. Healthy, man. And and the palm to your point. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, do, do, I use do they, my AMC do they pass hate to. You? Do they hate you or do you hate yourselves? But see, look, I mean, self-loathing is my thing. You know, I had to see it. Listen, I am a completionist, and that is a flaw. I, that is a fake. I was dragged by my wife, so that's the reason why I had to go see it. Oh, so you don't love your wife enough to protect her? That's what I mean. <laughs> Listen, man, <laughs> you, you, you try you, you try to throw hints out there, but they sometimes you just don't listen. No, I used my AMC club, got my little free movie, made sure I saw Mama the week before, and then uh, what is it, Men in Black International pre-scheduled. So I got two movies that paid for that one, and I was in a movie theater that's... I think it's seated 250, but there was only eight of us in there. And yeah, I enjoyed the psychotic nature that is me forcing myself to watch that movie. I almost left three times. I've seen some bad movies. I saw Ghost Rider. I mean, I love Nick Cage. I love John Blaze Dan Catch. I sucked it up for that first Ghost Rider. And the, the second one was worse. Second one was far worse. Uh, I can't believe you saw the second one. Y'all gotta love yourselves more, man. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is care, like one on one. And when at what point do they have to stop hurting you? No, no, no. They'll change. They hit me because they love me. That's what y'all are with X-Men. No, no, I went in. I went in all the way with the ghost. The second, I was like, this is Nick Cage. I'm always here for Nick Cage. That man's got to pay for a castle. He's got to pay some taxes. I'm going to help. I'm going to help my dude out. He still got those castles? Yikes. I think he still do. That's why he's still in the middle of nowhere. Look, Midsummer will make him some money this year. And then, you know, at some point, uh, you know, he'll figure out maybe having two castles is too much. Maybe let's kick it down to one, but you know. Thanks. Uh, so was there anything good about this movie? Did any? Did, any, did you like anything yes. in the movie? Yes. Okay. The one scene uh, that Cam just referenced with the ridiculousness of Kurt facing off with the team against uh, Gene. I like the visual of Gene being the speed of thought being faster than the speed of sound when it came to Quicksilver trying to get to her. Because that that was something I was like, okay, that makes sense. That's cool. The Olaf like impalement of Mystique, that that wasn't cool. But I'll give that credit. I also will give credit to uh Fassbender. Because God bless that man. I don't know how when him and James McAvoy went off set and they realized what was going horribly wrong with those reshoots, how he kept it together and decided to emote 
at times where, you know, J-Law has already been like three mimosas in and she was just ready to go. Oh, ready to go. She was, I mean, I have not seen someone so disgusted with a career choice she made prior to signing a contract. <laughs> I haven't seen it since uh, Ed Norton. Yeah. Like, when he was in, uh, what was it, Kingdom of Heaven. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be the king. Just keep me in this. Ma- you ain't going to see me. It, I got to do one more movie in this day. You're never going to see. I was just fine. It was so bad. They even half did her makeup. I was like, what's going on with the makeup job for Mystique? It just looked awful. I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. So, so Jeff, I know you want to talk about positive things about this movie. Can we talk about that for a second? <laughs> sure. So speak so, on okay. the blue crew. Speak on the blue crew, except for Kurt. OK, so when they're on missions. Mystique and Hank are blue. When they're behind closed doors with with each other, they're in white face. I mean, he's not in white face. He's genuinely born a white person. She's in white face. Yes. Um, When they are, when they get in front of the kids in the mansion to celebrate a job well done, she's already transitioned into white face. When he's having this emotional conversation with Xavier, he's in, he's white. When he goes to persuade Magneto to kill her, he's white. He only turns after she dies at the very end of the movie. He is a picture of her blue. And then he decides from then on to be blue. Make it make sense. Anybody. Well, I will say in the internal logic of the movie, since, excuse me, since uh, Apocalypse, she had firmly been in the, because there's even a line, it was on Fox, uh, or FX rather, a couple of days ago. And I actually laughed out loud when I saw it because I'm like, my God, this is the one thing they decided. (laughs) Wait, 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 Paul, wait, wait. Wait, wait. I saw it when I was flicking through. I saw it and I had to see that part and I laughed and I moved on with my life you because Trey controls the team. I, I, listen, I'm a glutton. Sometimes I'm a glutton. I walked up the hill. But she this looked at Charles. This is very camish of you. Wow. See? It's like that. I, I, listen, listen. She sat down. She came home after, you know, she had broken away. And he was like, what about Mutant and Proud? He's like, that gets me hurt. It's like, that gets you hurt out there. Why are you like that here with me? And she just kind of looked at him and kind of, and then walked away. And so 20 years later, I guess, by the internal logic of this series, she has been so broken by mutant and proud, which was her catchphrase until her agent told her she didn't have to wear it anymore. Uh, That, yeah, now, now mutant and proud means you're proud for press conferences and alternate Tuesdays when she doesn't have custody of her kids. And can we talk about if we're going to do this? I mean, we're going to go into this because this that was one of my favorite parts of the, the fact that Hank McCoy had his second mutation because he hated his mutant self. They kind of landed that plane and then crashed it and made it a fake Hulk. Then you don't talk about the fact that Kurt had struggles and meeting townies and keeping it cool. And how guys like Bobby, who doesn't exist, would be the instigator of, you know, why don't you just do this? Or same thing with Warren and his wings. None, none of the. I'm getting myself angry about things. You know, you know the real reason, the real reason why Nicholas Holt and Jennifer Lawrence weren't in makeup that often. 
We're all ears. They've got decent fucking agents. Yes. You want us back? I'm not wearing that shit. That's basically what they said. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, and they, I mean, and they actually know. told, they actually said it to Ken Burke first because they were like, we we all, they were out of contract. They were, everyone was out of contract. They were like, we'll come back if Ken Burke does it. And we'll come back with Ken Burke if you let us do what we want. I was going to say, and the Ken Burke thing, while that's the thing that's making the news, was not their only condition. Right. I mean, and, and the, what did I like about the movie? I thought that they finally let Cyclops do Cyclops things at the very end of the movie. Um, yes. So same thing for Nightcrawler. Um, they are at a point with technology to where they can have Storm's lightning powers look like Storm's lightning powers. Um, I mean, again, Fastbender always brings it. Like he's always trying his damnedest. Uh, again, the kid playing Cyclops did his thing. Um, I, I I wish I had more. Like they pump faked on uniforms. They gave us uniforms at the end of Apocalypse, which was the only saving grace of the entire movie. And then they put them in Burlington Coat Factory's finest after that. Well, they went with like uh, like Palmer. They went with the Morrison New X-Men, but they went with ill-fitting version. Like they went with the I put it on layaway when you were 10 and now you. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong. Those aren't even blue. That was great great value Morrison. That was like robots Morrison. Navy. That's great. That was like, so those were new the new X Men suits or oh new what so what suits were they? What did the new X Men or New Mutants? I thought it was New Mutant suits or something at first. Oh no no those were those were the newest new X Men. Okay, because it was them, and then uh, of course because she has to be different. Emma had her own version of it, like the very first issue. It's like them and theirs. Charles is coming forward in his uh, wheelchair, and then Emma's off to the side in her black and white gear. Cause you know she she ain't that that and don't. Then, and then a few years later, Joss Whedon saved us all by saying, "People wear spend heroes wear spandex. People get yeah. scared of the black leather. Like it's ridiculous." And the fact that they tried the best thing that came out of this movie from someone who didn't watch it is it reminded me that even the people I trust in the world the most, I can't allow them to recommend things to me sight unseen. So when Rich says watch this match or Cam says read this book, I say. <laughs> These men watched Phoenix, Dark Phoenix. <laughs> and I won't say X-Men Dark Phoenix because that's not the name of the movie. The name of the movie is Dark Phoenix because they knew take X-Men off of it. See, this is like watching Mystery Science Theater, though, Palm. I knew this was a bad movie. I needed to see it because I, again, this is a flaw of mine. I want to be in a position when someone's like, you didn't even see the movie, man. How do you know it sucked? Because we have a friend of ours, Shahid, who defended every single X-Men movie. And he would like, well, if you don't watch it, you can't you can't complain. It's like, all right, I watched You've it. Here are the things I found. Taste in friends. Jesus. <laughs> Look, if these, you don't watch someone hurt themselves repeatedly and then tell you that it doesn't hurt, that person is capable of anything. I wouldn't take an eye off that man. Honestly, I can't believe you're talking to me right now. I hope he's being, I hope he's wired for sound. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> what? He could do anything. So, uh, <laughs> Jeff, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know Jeff. Like we're ruining this. Like guys, can we? We haven't. Like we've gone through this entire movie. No, it's... and we've talked about things we've liked and what we haven't liked. We have not talked about the villain of the movie yet. Oh my god! Okay, so look. All right. 
listen, right. listen. The villain of the movie is obviously her mom's choice in radio uh, channels. The villain of the movie is my three fellow podcasters here because it's your fault. Like I'm so everyone's like Jessica Chastain and did it. That's fine. They took. And the thing is, there's a cool thing to do here. Here's some. Okay, this is not me like over nerding about this, but. The race of, 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 of aliens in the movie, I forget what they're actually called, doesn't matter the name. They're actually from the comics. They're, from, they're canonical. That's mm, yeah. the race that was destroyed when Gene ate the stars of Dark Phoenix. The yeah. Dabari, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dabari. Bob- there's a way to do this. There's a rightly way to do this. You say that you're destined to destroy us. That's why we're trying to push you to power. And I was like, that's actually a pretty cool plot. But that's not the plot, is it? It's, no. you've got power, and we're going to take it from you. But if we could have taken it, we probably would have taken it from you in the first place, and that would have get to you. I don't actually understand. But we're going to make you embrace it so that we can take it. Otherwise, shit. Well, I mean, remember, originally it was supposed to be the scrolls because reasons. And then they settled on going back to them. And Jessica Chastain, God bless her, did a great impersonation of Bryce Dallas Howard in... Jurassic World, running around in heels mm-hmm. uh, the entire movie on train. I mean, she beats Miss Howard because she runs on trains. She's running through the street. She's running a 4-3-40, cutting corners. You know, she's just doing everything. Uh, I am aghast that you set up for Mr. Sinister. You get rid of the Hellfire Club. You, I mean, give me Blob. Give me something. Give, give me something that shows that you understand that you could have made some better choices. Like, I did not hear, obviously, by watching this. If you like this movie, you just like movies. Yeah. You just really like getting out of the house. Point. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Palm, I would, I would say get a chance. Go to Rotten Tomatoes. There are some gems as far as people who reviewed this movie who get paid to do it. And talking about while the average comic book movie gives you these twists and turns, I enjoy that X-Men gives me no plot, no villain, and no reason to sit in my seat for anything other than the fact that I appreciate this isn't one of those Marvel things. Oh, yeah. You you have a small pocket of people for some reason that like this movie. I don't know why. Hate makes you ugly, man. Hate makes you ugly. Them and the Snyder Cup folks are going to have a baby. And it's going to be the Watchmen Defense Force. Oh, remember when? Remember way back when Rock was doing the Hollywood Rock gimmick, and I think they were in Toronto. And he mm-hmm. said, "Finally, the Rocks come back to Toronto, and everybody cheers." And he immediately says, he makes fun of them and says, "He said Toronto, yay! That's where we're from. That's what this is. It's people who grew up." familiar with characters and just really wanting to see them on the big screen. They finally gave me X X Men, so they did their job. Yeah, I, that's so, long and so short. I could I could have stopped all of you from doing any of this because I'm I'm not ashamed of this. My favorite X Men is Alex Summers. It's Havoc. After first class, I oh Havoc lost the fight with a building, didn't he? Be very careful what you wish for about the characters you want to see on the screen because they might turn your favorite character into a hula-hooping ninny. Yeah. Those, hips, those hips didn't lie, man. They did yeah, not well, lie. Listen, him, him, and, uh, him and Jamie Lannister, you know, 
ate some construction. That's all I remember your, about your, it. Your, 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 your Game of Thrones nerd means nothing to me. I don't speak that. See? Again, again like, no, I just... <laughs> think about, like, the, the, the long story, tense relationship between a Scott Summers and an Alex Summers over the years. Think about how maybe how many episodes of X-Men animated series were they in together? Maybe one. two. One. Yeah, the the one X Factor cold, one. Cold com- Cold Comfort's name. Yeah, yeah. which is just fantastic because Iceman was showing his whole ass of Hilarious and Wolfsbane and Strong Guy and Jane the fact that Jackson was on Saturday morning cartoons and no one could ever take away from me. Yeah, and, and just think about how the tease of them sharing the screen was just the coolest thing in the world. And then it, maybe in a different episode with Star Jammers, we get, um, you know, they get dropped out of the plane. Like, like yeah. there's stuff, you know, and, and we got, I, I thought it was interesting to make Alex the older brother. And, and I was like, oh, they're really going to do something with this. And no, no, no. He just overreacts and then he blows up and then we get Cyclops having no home and no country. Um, oh, this movie is dog shit. This franchise is dog shit. Well, now I, I heard. I'm sorry, Jeff. I, I heard Palm and I heard Chris talk about the day that Marvel opens their X Men movie, and it's the '90s tune, just like it was with Spider Man with Sony. And when I read the news that the people who made X Men's animated series want to revive it with Disney, and they're kind of like writing spec scripts and trying to get things done, I was like, that's the sneakiest way you could reintroduce the X Men over years before they do it on the big screen without people losing their mind because i love watching the new dc unlimited uh young justice and all that stuff because it it is they they care and they're paying attention to the subject i if i have to see another half-cocked version of apocalypse or the dark phoenix saga or in sinister or Sabretooth or juggernaut when i can just pop on my computer and watch a really good X-Men. I mean, Fox could have leaned in and made Morph a character, and you would have had half of the 90s kids. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I have a question for you guys. I want to start with Jeff, because you've been the host who kind of talked over you. Jeff, I want I'm to sorry. ask. I, I know where I stand. I think I know where the gentleman stand. You're kind of a novice at X-Men. If you were given, if, if, if we did one of those Freaky Friday situations, and you were in Kevin Feige's body, how would you bring X into the masses in a way that would relate to you? Mm. I don't know. The 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 thing that I want to happen first is for the Fantastic Four to be introduced first. That's just me. Um, I just don't know how you would bring them in. And no, no, I'm not saying the how. I'm oh. not saying the how. Let's not worry about the, okay. the, 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 the machinations. Okay. What's the story that you would want to see from a new studio, from someone who cares... Say this is going to be the world's reintroduction, and, and honestly, I do think they're going to put this franchise on the shelf for four to seven years, which is probably where it needs to be. I think you're right. I think we're in FF first. But let's talk. Let's throw all that stuff out. What's the story that grabs you? Uh, someone who has the familiarity with X Men, but not necessarily like the deep seated product knowledge, or some would say X psychosis of your other guests here. What do you? What would you want to see? Hmm. I honestly would want to start with the the actually the first class. I wouldn't mind being told again in the MCU, but not necessarily uh, 
the original original first class. I'm talking about maybe they right. may, they may do like just Gene, uh, Cyclops, Wolverine. The first class that I that I saw that I originally saw the the animated okay. version. Yeah, the animated version, not the oh first first class. That's what I would want to see. See them already I think, be. I think, I think seeing them already be a team. Think, Go ahead. I think we've done the forming thing. I think we've done the first class thing. I think you're right. I think seeing this fully formed, well-trained mutant team out there would be great. And of course you have the opportunity to have a, a Kitty Pride or a Jubilee or a armor or a pixie or a, they're always female. There's never a male um, open door character, um, but it's the character that kind of lets you into the world. Kind of like with Pride of the X-Men, it was Kitty Pride. And obviously in the nineties cartoon with Jubilee, I think that, having that entrance into something that feels more established will make it feel different than the 10 years of world building of Avengers. Because I don't think you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily have to go back and tell every story somewhat like they can do somewhat like they did with Spider-Man. They just yeah. brought you kind of brought you it into the world. Dead, we get it. You dead, already... we get it. Let's move. Yeah, I get you. Well, gentlemen, I am, um, I'm done. To, I, I can't talk about a movie. I've never seen more and hate even more. But um, I, I just thank you for inviting me on, Jeff. Thank you for having me. I just, I, I'd really big pleasure to be here with you and Rich. And I know you had to invite Cam, but it is what it is. Wow. <laughs> you knew that was coming. You you knew that was coming, Waffle God. You knew I that did. was coming. I did. And, and just really quick, um, they'll never put me in charge of anything, and they shouldn't. But the Mutant Massacre, I'm going right no, for it. No, what are you doing? I'm going right How for are you gonna, it. Congratulations, you work at Fox. You I'm going. You want right. to see on Earth? We are. We are you opening deserve, up. You deserve Dark Phoenix. We are opening they, up with the Marauders in the Morlock tunnel. I hope they tunnel. stream New Mutants into your brain. First thing, we're doing it, <laughs> and we have full. May, have may, full, may uh, Brett Ratner direct all your favorite films. Oh my! Oh my! Oh goodness. Goodness. How dare you? And then Optimus Prime <laughs> shows up. And all right, well, oh. hey, stop the podcast. Whoa. <laughs> stop the podcast. My blood Stop the podcast. <laughs> oh, man. Jeff. Um, yes. Because I kind of have to be the uh, the conscience of, of the South Congress, even though I'm just as ridiculous as my co-host. Thank you for letting me get on a platform where I could just yell for a while because I don't do that nearly enough out loud it's mostly just on twitter but i really do appreciate it oh yeah sometimes you got to get it out we saw it so it was time to get that get get that bad taste out of our mouth yes and and same for me i want to thank you because my host on the east coast cast had me in a three-hour argument about whether or not thor's power is magic based because his argument was Magic is just technology people don't understand yet. And my argument back was, Travis, he's effing Norse god of thunder with Mjolnir. And that just didn't, you know, at some point I'm going to stab that man and this will be admissible in a court of law. Uh, well. Yeah. So thank you, sir. I appreciate <laughs> yes. it. I'm sorry. I got a little fired up because uh, this movie broke me in many ways. I understand. It broke a lot of people. But the good thing is they're in a better place now. <laughs> so I want to thank you guys for coming on tonight. It was good to get an actual group on the, my podcast for the first time. And yeah, man, I hope we get to do this again real soon. Jeff, it's appreciated. It was always, man. All right. A big pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. All right, everybody. Peace. <laughs>